Hi, it's Greg and Lucky. And this is our podcast. If you don't catch us from 5 to 9, this is what you missed. Have you watched Dave Chappelle's The Closer on Netflix? Oh, I did. Yeah, I watched about half of it, and then uh, I got to get back to it. I thought it was terrific, but of course, it's Dave Chappelle, so he's uh, ruffled some feathers. He is one of the great storytellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the way he tells a story and, and the, the way he crafts it all together. And, and, and it's not, you know, it is funny but it, but there's a lot of truth to it, mm-hmm. right? He's, he, there's a lot of teaching that's going on in it as well. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's 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 garnering massive controversy from especially the trans community. Yeah, they're very upset. They want Netflix to drop it, but the CEO of Netflix says no. We're not. Right. We're uh, we have a commitment to this. But in it, he tells the story of his relationship, or you know, somewhat you know, friendship or connection to, uh, you know, a, a trans comedian. Mm-hmm. You know and. I mean, it's a funny. Sto- I found it funny, and, and of course, it doesn't. It doesn't offend me. I'm not part of. Well, that's you know, just because it's not your world, yeah. right? You know, and, and I think the point he was trying to make is that you know, being black, he is part of an embattled community mm. himself, and and you know, one of the things he said was, that, you know, I think I'm jealous. Of the right. fact of of what the, the LGBTQ community. community, how far they've come yeah. so quickly. Had we just had a parade. <laughs> right. In his whole mind. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he's a brilliantly funny guy. But there are people who are upset, of course, because yes. that's what we do these days. Uh, but Netflix says they are carrying on with it. Um, the CEO uh, addressed the issue in a memo to employees. He said... Uh, we don't allow titles on Netflix that are designed to incite hate or violence, and we don't believe the closer crosses that line. He says, I recognize that distinguishing between commentary and harm is hard, especially with stand-up comedy, which exists to push boundaries. Some people find the art of stand-up to be mean-spirited, but our members enjoy it, and it's an important part of our content offering. So it will stay on. But uh, I guess that's the last one for uh, Chappelle with Netflix for a while, anyhow, because yeah. he made the comment that... Uh, He's that's taking it. a break. Yeah, that's it for a minute. Yeah, so. and, you know what? You know, Chappelle won. Uh, Bill Burr, another one who's, who's very funny. He can mm. be very controversial. Uh, but his stance on it is, you know what you're getting. Yeah. You know, when you buy the ticket, mm-hmm. you know what you're going to get. And if you don't want it, don't go. Yeah, Burr's big complaint always has been somebody who complains about his stand-up because they watch a minute of a clip on YouTube. Right. And he said, well, I'm not doing it for you. I'm right. doing the show for the people who paid the ticket and got the babysitter and there, came out for the night. There are a few, um, you know, w- women in the audience uh, when you look at that Dave Chappelle thing. Mm. And uh, and you think, boy, they don't seem to look like they're part of that crowd mm. of what you'd see at a Chappelle show. Not that there needs to be any, uh, you know, kind of a distinct crowd, but they kind of stand out. Mm. And you can tell in some of the jokes, they're not laughing. <laughs> you know, and then part of me is I'm watching this going, like, well, why did you go to this? Yeah. Like, did you go to be offended uh, because you, you just wanted to confirm that he was going to offend you? Or were you really interested in, in having a laugh? Sometimes I think it's relationship-based. I mean, I, I, when I think of the amount of different shows and events that I've dragged Maria to that she had zero interest. Right. You know, I made her sit through at least a dozen Rolling Stones shows. That's time she'll never get back. Right. She didn't ever want to. <laughs> so it might be a case of, you know, a lot of guys just want to go see Chappelle, and so they drag their girlfriend or wife along, and perhaps they don't find them all that funny to begin with because comedy is such a... You know, a selective and individual thing, right? right? So, I mean, I remember, like, 
watching Raw or Eddie Murphy's Delirious. And, and I think Maria loved Delirious, couldn't stand Raw because his anger towards women through a lot of that. Right. But, um, but she had to sit through watching it many a night. Yeah. As I just thought it was the greatest thing uh, I had ever seen. Uh, and he certainly was. Dave Chappelle is probably the Eddie Murphy of our time now, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, the current Superman in DC Comics is not Clark Kent. It's John Kent, the son of Clark and Lois Lane. And in the November 9th issue, he becomes romantically involved with a college friend named Jay. Superman is now out bisexually. Oh, okay. Um, the writers of the comics say, I've always said everyone needs heroes and everyone deserves to see themselves in their heroes. And I'm very grateful DC and Warner Brothers share this idea. Superman's symbol has always stood for hope, truth, and justice. Today, that symbol represents something more. Today, more people can see themselves in the most powerful superhero in comics. DC also recently had the current Robin Tim Drake come out as by so okay yeah um I mean if they're updating stuff with Superman what are they doing about the phone booth situation <laughs> <laughs> because you can't change it you can't There's change no it in a phone booth you yeah. gotta find one you can't be spinning and just getting naked in the middle of the street yeah no I don't know I think they've just uh, kind of avoided that right he's just <laughs> He's just he's just always walking around in that outfit. Like, you know, if you're going to solve his sexuality, yeah. do me a favor. Solve the phone booth for me, too. <laughs> I was happy to read this. Almost half of all adults say they work out zero times a week. <laughs> I am common. <laughs> you feel good about yourself yeah, now? Yeah, I do. I do. Now, how many of you, though, when you go to the doctor and they say, are you working out? You go, oh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm on the treadmill three times a week. Right. No, more than half of us, zero. That means like going to the gym, biking, jogging, or any moderate to intense physical activity. Wow. All right. Well, that's, I mean, that's a lot of honesty. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's the next category? Well, what they say is uh, about a quarter of people. Work out one to two times per week and a about the same three to four times, then it falls way off. Right. Like there's just a few who say they work out every day or five to six times a week. I would say the most, uh, you know, category of liars would be that one to two times a week. Mm-hmm. Like that seems like that number where, yeah, I got to say I'm doing something. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't want to say I'm doing zero. I'm actually quite surprised that half of people said, yeah, I do nothing. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, you know, certainly with uh, the pandemic, the last 18 months or so, you haven't even had to race to catch the subway or, no. you know, a lot of walking around downtown through your office or well, up like, and down stairs. Like me with all the pandemic puppies, mm. I've seen a lot of people who are probably doing walking, but I mean, that's just a walk and you gotta do fresh a air. It's not really exercise in terms of breaking a sweat. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think being up and just moving is, of course, good. Well, it's right? better than nothing, well, I guess. circulating. Yeah. I mean, you guys went and did almost a 25-kilometer uh, walk right. with the 100-hole uh, the, uh, hike. Although From what I hear, all of us were hobbled. Oh, the lovely Maria could barely <laughs> breathe on Friday. She was in such pain by the time she got home from work Friday night. I said, well, you know what will fix you up? Cooking me a steak. <laughs> <laughs> That went over well. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how I feel about all of this. We have wanted for so long to get back to the land of the living. And as of tomorrow night, if you switch on the Leafs and Canadians, 
you will see a full arena, packed, 100% capacity. And you'll see hockey back once again, which takes us back like almost two years, it feels like, since the last time we were able to do something like that. And I got to be honest, if somebody came to me today and said, hey, Craig, I got a pair of tickets. Want to come with me to see the Leafs and uh, Habs? Right. I don't know that I want to be mixing with that many people yet. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're lower bowl, uh, you're all right because, well, half the period they're stuck underneath anyway mm-hmm. and not in their seats. And there's not a lot of yelling and screaming going on from the lower bowl. True, Upper yeah. bowl, you get the uh, the real shouting and, and screaming going on. I uh, I hear you. I, I mean, I called the Generals game on Friday, and that was half capacity still mm-hmm. there. And about 3,000 people in a 6,000-seat arena. And it seemed pretty sparse mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Um, you know, now you're jamming 18,000, 20,000 people in. It, it's going to be pretty tight. And it's weird how... And it's not even like... Oh my goodness, he's going to be breathing COVID on me. It's, I don't know if it's a fear thing for me or just the fact that I'm so comfortable now having space mm-hmm. that it's going to feel weird jammed in yep. with a whole bunch of people. Yeah, everybody's got to be double vaxxed, so you've got uh, that to feel confident about. And uh, yeah, maybe you can't get to COVID at a Leaf game because it's quiet there most of the time <laughs> anyhow. <laughs> well, and you can only have your mask off if you're eating or drinking, and mm-hmm. who can afford to do that there? Right. Yeah. So they get going against the Habs, and then they're uh, they're playing the Senators on Thursday night, uh, back-to-back on uh, Saturday as well. And, and we're back to even more normal routine because they will be playing other uh, cities outside of Canadian teams. Yes, it's the Canadians and the Senators to get things going, but by Monday, they face the Rangers, right. and the Sharks, and then the Penguins, so... We are back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see how it all plays out. Have you watched any of this All or Nothing on Amazon? The I did. I, documentary? I, I told you you have to watch it. Because the whole time I was watching it, I was just thinking, boy, Craig's going to hate this. I tell you, that first episode when Simmer went down, <laughs> oh, we were all very worried about Simmer. Simmer and his broken wrist. And then Jumbo. I, I don't mind the nickname Jumbo Joe. And that's fine. At right. least they don't, call him, they don't call him Thorzy or something yeah. stupid like that. And it, it wasn't as bad. You told me about it off the air. And, of course, as I have admitted many times, uh, I, I've always enjoyed hockey. I like watching it. It's just the culture and the people around it ruined it for me. I really think your watching of Letter Kenny has mm. probably softened your idea of the Leafs All or Nothing series. Because mm. when you watch it, you're like, oh, my God, it is Letter Kenny. Yeah, it like, totally like, is. Letter Kenny wasn't wrong, and it wasn't just beer league. Yeah. That happens in the NHL to the point where, you know, like Thornton's funny um, in the fact that you you watch it and you think, boy, this guy's 40. Mm. And he's, you know, walking around in his underwear like you know, yeah. he's some 20-year-old again and joking around. It's just the boys. It's, uh, yeah, and he, there's a good moment with him when he's in his car and he's listening to sports radio and Brian Burke was being interviewed when Thornton was signed to the Leafs. And he's like, ah, I think it was a waste of money. And you just see Thornton smiling and, <laughs> you know, because what does it matter what Brian Burke thinks? There's right. a big fat check in front of Joe uh-huh. Thornton. So. I wonder what Sheldon Keefe's mom thinks of this. Well, he's a potty mouth, eh? He is. A, he, he, there's a lot yeah. of F-bombs going around. Yeah. It's funny, too. Like, there's the, and again, I've only seen the first episode. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a list. I actually started it in my phone of all the nicknames. Oh, okay. So that we can, uh, or I can at least mock it. Because I don't know if, I don't know. Is that a thing through all sports or is it just hockey? Mostly? I think it's probably through all sports. It's a weird little thing. Yeah. Anyhow. 
Um, yeah, he's a real potty mouth. And the way he, like, the, you know, and I guess I've always known this, you know, they're, they're hockey players, they're professional athletes, they're well-paid and pampered. And they're in those little meetings, and they've all got their own individual white lounge chairs to sit in. Well, and, they had to space them all out, yeah, right? Yeah, Before, yeah. they would have basically a theater where they go in and they watch video. Oh, really? And all theater seats. Yeah. You know, all custom with Leaf logos oh, on of them. Of course. Yeah. And they, um, you know, at the end of each meeting, he's like, all right, thanks, guys, for being a part of this thing. Like, he's thinking... Thanking them for showing up. You make a gazillion dollars a minute. I think you can take in a, a meeting. <laughs> you, part of the job. Yeah. So uh, it's it's interesting. If you're a Leaf fan, uh, it's certainly something to watch on, just, on Amazon Prime. It's just a little something maybe you can't watch with the kids because well, all the F-bombs. That's the surprise for me is that, you know, they left in as much mm. as they did. Mm-hmm. Like to the MF bombs and all that was yeah. going on. And it, because I sat down with the kids to watch it. Oh, yeah. Right? And listen. They've heard them all out of my mouth. Yeah. They know they can't repeat them. But my goodness, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And, you know, like as I'm watching this going, oh, wow. Like, you know, if they think that this is the culture, mm. right, around the dressing room, uh, boy, it, it, it's going to get pretty ripe in a, with 12 and 13-year-olds doing that in the room. And there's a lot of tough jobs on this planet and a lot of jobs I would never want. But certainly the job of editing together interesting moments from Toronto Maple Leaf hockey players. The amount of footage that must have been shot to get even a moment where somebody says something either entertaining or interesting or thought-provoking. Because it's a lot of, come on, guys. Let's go, guys. Think about it. Go get them, boys. I mean, they cover basically a month in that whole episode. And and not only like just a month of on the ice and in games, Mm. all of the footage of following Keefe around, Dubas around, Going to Arizona to talk to Austin's parents mm-hmm. and in their rooms and in their like houses and homes and in Thornton's car. All of that would have yeah. been like hours and hours and hours of footage. <laughs> and they string together, you know, 30 yeah. F-bombs in, in an hour and that's it. Well, I guess that's as, as much as Keith's got to say. Right. You know, that's, that's as deep and uh, thought-provoking as he gets, because uh, hockey players might be very talented on the ice, but when it comes to just day-to-day, you know, conversation and sharing anecdotes and stories, and lacking a touch there. <laughs> not, not a lot going on. Come on, boys. I, I have to just take a moment to uh, thank the people. Uh, I got uh, voted the most uh, negative morning show host. <laughs> I would like to. I would like to thank, of course, all the people involved. Lucky, thank you for your right. support. Yes, yes, Doug, Doug Elliott. Of course, my family. I mean, I couldn't be this negative without them. Right. I drive you to negativity. <laughs> I, I see that as somewhat a bad badge of honor. I, you know, I listen. Being in radio, and you're, you're, you know, you're always your career is always kind of based on numbers and ratings and how well you're doing. And it's painfully obvious that I'm never going to be number one. But to be the most negative, right, is I think a great title. Yeah, for that's, me to, to have. That's something. Yeah, that is. Well, and, and <laughs> I've always told people when you get into this job, one of the things I was so surprised at and I didn't expect was the amount of acting mm. that you really have to do, right? Because you'll hear it from people like, I don't know how you guys are so upbeat that early in the morning. Mm. It's because I'm not. Right? No. It's, no. You, know, you kind of have a role to play sometimes. And there are some who do it very well in terms of, 
you know, being very negative or grouchy or, or, or you know, that's that's kind of their character, their, yeah. their, their role. There have been some of the past. I think it's the Howard Stearns. I, I don't think he's that much of a curmudgeon all the time. Oh, no, you play. It's, but, a, it's acting. But you he kind of plays that role a little bit. And then there's others where it's, hey, Sonny is 75 and yeah. it's great. And that's like, the worst. And, it, and you're like, my God, like that is that is playing that role too? Yeah, no, I've always thought, look, if, if we come in one morning and we're not feeling well, well, guess what? Everybody has mornings where they don't feel well. Yeah. So it's fair and honest to admit that. Right. Now, if you were coming in every morning going, oh, it's so early, I don't want to be here. And, of course, that gets to be a bit much. Right. Listen, I whine a lot in life because I've got a lot to whine about. <laughs> Try walking in my shoes. <laughs> like, I got nothing good going on. <laughs> I got a family that barely tolerates me. <laughs> Somewhere in your head, you think... Uh, you know, your pain mm. and sharing it mm. and the, the dismal life that you lead yeah. may actually make people feel better about themselves by listening to it in the morning. What's our little bit we do? At least I'm not him. <laughs> Here's your guy. Plus, I can't afford a therapist, so it's easier if I just talk here. So as you're driving through traffic yeah. again yeah. to that mundane existence yeah. you call life at work. Uh-huh. At least you can say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not Ven. <laughs> that should be on a plaque. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you for that award. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I don't know that I've ever heard of this guy. Maybe you have. DJ Steve Aoki. Have you heard of this yep. guy? Okay. Yeah. He does a lot of uh, like dance mix stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's also the heir to the Benihana restaurant franchise. Really? Not bad? Yeah. His life is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, during Prohibition, the, Bap, uh, the Pabst Brewing Company stayed alive by making cheese. Okay. Couldn't sell beer. I think I'd heard that somewhere before, right? So they made cheese. Mm-hmm. James Kahn was improvising when he said, bada bing, in the Godfather movie. Wow. But it has become a catchphrase for mobsters in movies and in real life. And a certain Italian restaurant, I know, too. Well, a bing, somewhat Italian. Yeah. Loosely. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see a lot of Italians there. That's true. It's always the... I remember a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine took me uh, for, uh, for some uh, sushi, uh, Japanese food on uh, Spadina. And they took me to this restaurant where it was just completely full of Japanese and Chinese people. Right. And he said, this is how you know it's, it's real. Right. You know, that's why you don't go to some, any kind of ethnic restaurant of any sort. It's just a bunch of people who look like me sitting in there. <laughs> it's not going to be good. <laughs> you mean when I go to Venice to have dinner, it's not all you can eat breadsticks that's and right. salad? Okay. That's right. Exactly. Good, good to know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Boy, Jimmy Kahn was good, though. He, oh, he's, it's so great in so many movies. There did you ever see a movie he did called The Gambler? I think it was called The Gambler. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. Where he was just losing money uh, all over the place. His whole life was ruined with his gambling addictions. And I think one of the final scenes, he's got like like whatever he's got left riding on a basketball, like a college basketball game. And he's basically lying in a bathtub listening to the game on the radio. And it, he's winning. And then in the last quarter, it falls apart. And you just see the look on his face. Like you just, you, it's, it's one of those great moments in acting where nothing has to be said. The right. camera's on him and he's just showing every emotion of my life's over. Right. I'm dead. I yep. might as well just blow my brains out in this bathtub. And then he did Elf. 
<laughs> he's great and he's still good. Oh, yeah. Oh, Not yeah. much of a singer, but still good. <laughs> no, he's a, hey, listen, in the 1970s, he went for a party at the Playboy Mansion, and he didn't leave for the better part of a decade. <laughs> and Jimmy Kahn, everybody. <laughs> Jimmy Kahn. Um, Bill Withers. You remember the artist Bill Withers? He uh-huh. wrote the big hit, Ain't No Sunshine. Yes. Basically, it's in every rom-com soundtrack. Plays in the background as soon as the couple breaks up. Uh-huh. Or when he's... Anyhow, he wrote that song, and he wrote it while working at a factory making toilet seats for airplanes. That's what he was doing when he really? wrote that hit. Uh, not a lot of sunshine in that place, I'd no. imagine. No. <laughs> imagine the other guys that work with him. He's like, I'm writing a song. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, good. sure. What I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, wait a minute. That's a good way to That's end a good it. line. <laughs> a toilet seat for airplane factory. They probably told him he could wipe his arse with that, with that song. But anyhow. It, uh, it did quite well for him. And he does repeat, I know, 26 times in the song. Oh, really? And he was going to change it, but other musicians told him to leave it in. So it is a lot. It's a lot. Well, hey, it worked for Hey Jude, so. That's right. Could have cut that song off at the three and a half minute mark. It didn't have to go seven. <laughs> but I think Paul probably thought this is going to be a great sing-along in concerts. Oh, yeah. Are we done? Yeah. Nah. No. No. Uh, the gin and tonic was invented in the early 19th century to make medication more uh, downable, more drinkable, more powerful. Really? Yeah. Because I don't find that drink very drinkable. I'm not a gin and tonic guy. It seems to me, it's just, I've always thought gin as being like like the queen's drink, like a grandmother drink, an old lady's drink. I will say the same, and I've never liked gin until all of a sudden now. Like these gin smashes that mm. are coming out and mm-hmm. the sandbaggers on the golf course. And all of a sudden, I'm finding myself a fan of gin. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I can just go buy a bottle of gin and make one of these no, drinks no, for myself, no, though. no. And, yeah, you guys, when you guys were down in them at the 100-hole hike, uh, she really fell in love with them, too. Oh, Maria liked oh, yeah, those. So much. I was driving around town on Sunday looking for them <laughs> for her. All the LCBOs were sold out of them. Uh, the Iron Maiden, that uh, human-shaped iron cabinet with spikes inside, it wasn't an actual torture device in the Middle Ages. It was created in the 18th century as part of a traveling circus show. Oh. Yeah. Napoleon was just under five foot seven, which was above average height okay. in France at the time. It's not that short yeah. then. It's always been the thing with him, though. Croissants were originally from Austria, not France. They were created in the 1600s in Austria and didn't make it to France till the next century. I do like one? A little messy, but I like them. Tasty, yeah. Fortune cookies are not served in China. <laughs> they most likely originated from cookies made by Japanese immigrants to America in the early 20th century. And a writer named Jenny Lee, the author of a book called The Fortune Cookie Chronicles, said she actually bought a bunch of fortune cookies to China and gave them to Chinese people who were very confused <laughs> with these things. What do I do with these numbers? <laughs> Rock Mornings with Craig Venn and Lucky. 94.9 The Rock.